Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Round the Rotary with me, J.P. Warren. And with us today, we have Cody Rodriguez, the CEO of Iron Orchard Operating. How are you doing today, Cody? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day outside, but we should be remaining inside due to the, the current state of events that we're in right now with the stay-at-home orders, non-essential businesses being closed, work from home seems to be going on. So we were conducting this for those listeners uh, via uh, Zoom. So we're respecting the stay-at-home orders. So I guess, Cody, kick us off, man. Tell, tell us a little about yourself. Give us a little background. So originally born and raised in uh, Baton Rouge, right outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, so still coming off the high that we're still the national champions for football. Um, went to school there, became a petroleum engineer, left there, went out to the field. So I figured I had 40 years to tell guys what to do in an office. I wanted to actually get my hands dirty and do a little bit of it myself. Uh, so I lived out in the field for a couple of years and did kind of a mixture of everything, drilling, completions, production, just whatever they'd let me do, whatever they'd let me get my hands on. Um, and so came out of there, went to work. That was for Devin. Um, continued, came to the office for a little bit, got really bored because it wasn't the diversity and fun that I had out in the field. And so went help start up the operations for MLP, couple more production partners, um, you know, helped them grow that took down, we took down like seven acquisitions and then I ended up running their, their East Texas division. So like 1100 wells, 180 million a day in gas, almost a couple thousand barrels of condensate, just a lot going on, um, at a really young age because, you know, GNA was low and they just didn't want to hire anybody else. And they figured as long as I'd keep sleeping four hours a night and getting it all done, they would do it. Um, so it was a phenomenal learning experience. Um, so kind of as I was finishing, kind of getting all the bows tied in the last acquisitions I had done, uh, the group of QSTAR called and said, hey, would you like to come help us start our operations department? So I said, man, that sounds great. Uh, jumped over there 2014 uh, to help them start operations and then you know, the entire time I'd been doing my career, uh, I had done operations and engineering, kind of all mixed. And so um, for QSTAR 1, you know, we were backed by NCAP, uh, put a good bit of money to work, sold to SM for $1.6 billion in December 2016. And so I did a lot of just engineering there. And then for QSTAR 2, we got re-upped, re-backed, had a $400 million commitment. Uh, in 2017, 2018, just wasn't the right time to be deploying that, to do a billion-dollar deal. Very thankful that we hadn't done that. And so part of the reason why is we were, we were very capitally disciplined. We never did a deal that uh, didn't seem right and that we couldn't stand the risk of. Um, and so left there, we shut that down in February of 2019. Um, our CEO stepped down and uh, we shut down that company. And then, um, which is very interesting to see, uh, you know, a private equity provider say, oh, we didn't shut you down. You decided to leave. That's not our norm. Uh, but we left and they were, they were great partners. Uh, we were glad to have been backed by them. Um, still keep up with those guys. And so left that and a couple months later, uh, kind of had decided to look at the market and see uh, what was going on and see what we saw. We kind of found a niche market um, helping out uh, kind of the deal space between two and $20 million we saw is kind of right for the picking, if we'll say, um, because it was bigger than what your kind of individuals were doing in Midland. And it was smaller than what your private equity guys would do because they had, um, they had to have something that supported their GNA. The team of a dream was no longer a model that existed. And so we could float in there because we we're young enough to be hungry, but we were well off enough um, to work for a couple of years without salary. So we were doing a model um, that I kind of borrowed from my commercial uh, real estate investing days. Um, 
And so we we borrowed that and kind of did a VC model where we took a 2% management fee and a 20% of the profit shares after the investors earned 8% because that way we're 100% aligned. You know, we were investing our money alongside the investors. We were operating for free if we didn't make money. And so if they didn't make money, we didn't make money. So it was a, a perfect alignment. And to get ready for that, we, we did a few small deals um, and then did the first one with investors. And then that's when everything started to get a little bit bigger. So what did you see? I mean, I guess you said you started uh, QSTAR 1 and that was, and that flipped or sold to, to, to SM. And then I guess a couple of years later, um, you said that you, you guys walked away from the uh, private equity company. That's correct. I guess, yeah. and, and I guess it was, uh, can you explain the different uh, dynamics of the market between, I guess, um, being private equity backed and going in and drilling a couple of wells and flipping it versus where you saw yourself, I guess, two, three years later after QSTAR 1? Yeah, so the model of buy and flip and the public markets having all the capital available, just ready and willing. We were kind of the last, one of the last big deals to flip at the end of 2016. Um, not long after in early 2017, um, people stopped buying on those evaluations. The capital markets stopped being willing to pay for that many locations. And so it changed. And so timing is everything. And so we like to think that we did a pretty good job, but the, the way that we played the market, the market timing is everything. So that's what was, really helpful. And so when you see the capital markets not being, being willing to deploy capital anymore, not being willing to pay for upside and PUDs and et cetera, and only paying for mainly PDP with a little bit of upside room, it really changed the dynamics of the model. Um, and so in the initial one, we bought, you know, we started with a $40 million acquisition and then really grew it from there until we sold across like 17 acquisitions. Whereas on QSTAR 2, when you're back with a $400 million, you can't do a $40 million transaction because it's just not worth your time because it would take so long to grow it and you're on a time clock, right? Like you're getting charged a percentage every year for the money that you've deployed. And so if you don't deploy it kind of in bigger chunks, it's a struggle. And so um, that was just one of the things where our board didn't want us to deploy $40, $50 million at a time to start small. They wanted us to deploy hundreds of millions of dollars at a time, um, you know, looking at billion dollar deals, not you know, almost elephant hunting instead of right. kind of rabbit hunting. So, so you said, uh, to, so go into a little bit about the business model, if you, if you wish about Iron Orchard operating and how it's okay. a niche, mar- a little niche market uh, that you, that you've kind of, you and your team have kind of discovered. Yeah. And so uh, we started in that kind of smaller space. And the big thing we realized is, you know, they had the big crew chains that happened. A lot of older guys got out who understood conventional. Well, luckily for Mike and I, who you've had on, um, we both kind of grew up in the operations world um, and we understand conventional and unconventional. So we did both. Uh, it wasn't that we'd only ever grew up drilling complete horizontal wells. And that's all we know. We knew old wells. I had an MLP asset that had a ton of wells and a lot of kind of old decrepit wells and a lot of, you know, high end wells as well in the Haynesville. And so I had seen a mixture of both and there's just not a lot of folks out there that have done that, that are young and hungry enough to chase it. If that makes sense. And so a lot of your, a lot of your guys with gray hair, um, already did very well and they're not looking to go grind and, and kind of do some of the smaller stuff that we're doing. And so for us, we can kind of play anything, you know, as small as a half million dollars and we can play all the way up to capital providers saying, Hey, look, go look at some half billion dollar deals. And so for us, kind of our size and our capital discipline has been, uh, kind of our strength. And so, because we've got a huge network of folks that we know and trust, um, and so we can get a guy, an expert from any basin to come help us with something, uh, but we don't have to pay the GNA for 30 guys right now. 
And so that's kind of one of those benefits where um, we've been able to find a niche of we can play in the small space. We can play in the big space. We've got different capital providers that are worked out with us. And at the same time, because we know how to operate, uh, we're also contract operating for another group right now. And so it allows us to kind of get our foot in the door and talk to people. So um, kind of when I talk to banks and lawyers right now about some of this, I'm just honest and say, hey, look, if you, if you want to get your face ripped off and sell right now because you have to, I'm more than willing to buy. Uh, but that's not what's going to create the most value for you and your investors. What's going to create the most value is holding on to something. And so um, that may mean letting us contract operate it for a while, put together a plan of how to get this, how to sustain this. Because um, the other thing is, like I said, is we did very well at QSTAR 1. So we don't need kind of you. what you're going to get with Iron Orchard is you're going to have the C-suite level executive management and you're going to have the operations background but you're not going to have the exuberant prices that people and, you know, um, the market is just saying can't happen anymore because our assets don't support it. And so you, you're kind of getting that combo of both with a lot of flexibility. So one, I mean, I guess, listen, all that things, I mean, some, something that would be Iron Orchard's, I guess, uh, strength in this market or uh, would be your first off the size, your size is your strength, the network of people that you have, which is increasingly more important, especially this, this time and age. Uh, y'all's experience and also another thing is y'all's work ethic y'all's motivation and that's that's just something that uh to me that can't be taught you know um so what do you see with everything going on with the with the uh with the market right now how does this i guess do you see this as an advantage for iron orchard i mean does, or how do you approach deals or potential deals right now during this uh, change in market so um, things have changed a lot since December, let's call it. And so when we looked at things in December, you were given your production value at strip. You're pretty confident that you get your hedges and you really understand how to evaluate things. At today's level, many of your assets that you're evaluating aren't cash flow positive. So the industry is kind of in a vapor lock situation. The only guy selling anything has a gun to his head. Um, and so nobody's going to buy something that doesn't make money and lose money for the opportunity to maybe make one, money one day. Um, and so a lot of your buyers are kind of stuck not knowing how to evaluate. And then a lot of your sellers um, at the same time, like, look, this will have value. I'm not going to give it away for free. Uh, and so right now it's having to be creative and flexible and working with people um, and being honest and open. Because before it was a, here's a number, this is what's happening. And right now that just isn't the answer as much, right? There's a so lot it's, of, it's a lot of communication, transparency, partnerships. That's it. That's, that's one of the biggest things that we can look at is being honest and partnering. And so um, one of the things Mike's always talks about was in the eighties, how the partnership happened. And we see that right. Partnering upstream and midstream companies, partnering service companies and upstream companies, partnering upstream companies becoming vertically integrated. We've done all those things that I just mentioned. So that's one of the ways that we've got to be creative. We've got to um, not have double promotes type thing, right? Like if you look at, you go to private equity sponsor and then a team and then investors behind that, there's a lot of promotion in there of different sets of people making money. And we're going to have to squeeze that down, right? The investors aren't going to make enough money like that. The investors are leaving that space. And as they flee that space, there's going to be a void for people to come in without having the double promote. So uh, if you can get in your backing uh, for Iron Orchard, is, it's, it's, what is the backing? Is it mainly uh, private equity? Is, is it uh, a fa a family and friends? Is it, is it bank? What, what, what would uh, be the, if you can speak to that. Yes. So 
uh, I won't get into the the specifics of names, but yeah, no, no we're not looking talk, for that. Of course, of course. Um, so basically, is the one of the first deals we did. Um, we love our field people. We think that they're one of the most important things that we've got. And so we invited them on some of our first deals to invest with us because not that many people give them a shot, not that many people um, let them participate, and nobody works like the guy who's got skin in the game, right? So if I go pick up a twenty thousand barrel a day deal in the Permian. I already have a full team that I'm very confident in. Um, if we go pick up something in East Texas, if we go pick up, so we've already done a lot of the legwork behind the scenes. And so that's, that's um, one of the investor sets, just be, not because that's the easiest thing for us, because we love those guys and we want to see them do well with us. And we know that that is going to be the legs that we stand on as this continues to grow. And so that's one set. And then you've got, um, family offices that we work with, high net worth individuals, all the way up to institution level um, guys. And so we're also, you know, we work with some investment banks and different groups that they call it pass the hat, right? So a lot of groups aren't really looking to say, hey, look, here's a, here's $50 million to go play with, go find me something. It's, we find a deal, package a deal through our networks, through what we're doing. We say, we model it out. Here's the cash flow. Would you like to participate or not? We've got four or five groups to talk to. If you'd like to participate, say yes. If you wouldn't like to participate, we 100% understand. Um, and one of the things that that does for us is it allows us to control our GP, uh, which really means we can control our future because we're not playing a, a short-term game. We're here for the next 15, 20 years. Right. Everything we do is playing what I call the infinite game, um, making decisions that are going to help us grow our business, grow our reputation, and uh, grow what we're doing for the long term. What it, That's such a shift in mindset coming from QSTAR 1 to Iron Orchard. I, I congratulate you on that uh not I, it, it sounds to me like such an opportunity for the the hands in the field but also from top down partnerships that are allowed to be created that's that's pretty exciting so how are how are you handling this uh the, the working from home aspect of everything has that has this stay-at-home thing really disrupted uh, uh, your involvement in, in work or focus um a little bit. And so one of the things, one of the things that we've got going for us, like you said, is work ethic and discipline. And so the way I see it is it can't change what I do. It has to change how I do it. Um, and so it gets a little bit more crowded now because I've got three kids doing homeschooling at home, you know, just, just off the way. Um, but part of, part of what Iron Orchard is and what we do is being flexible. And so uh, right now I've talked to a lot of different people in New York and Dallas and Houston. I don't have to fly. And so I try to see the benefits to everything. And the benefit is, is I don't have to buy plane tickets to visit people anymore. Everybody's 100% accepting that my background looks like this and I'm in my house. And so um, that's a lot, actually makes it easier for some of the, the smaller groups not to spend a bunch of capital helping to build relationships, but you know, still giving people what, what they need and the time that they deserve. Um, and so it has been, like I said, a little crowded, but besides that, we're just trying to find the ways that we can use that to our advantage. You know what? That's a very interesting point you brought up because I, I discussed this in a previous uh, uh, episode that it's the way we are adapting to the stay at home and using technology such as Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever. It kind of makes me think even after this is all over, if I want to have a happy hour or a dinner or a, a meeting with a potential customer or a current customer in Denver or Midland or wherever, you're right. You don't have to spend that plane ticket. You don't have to spend money for a hotel, rental car. I mean, you can really conduct it from 
I mean, I, I have a virtual background right now, which is Chili's. And, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, it's one of those things you have fun with and you can still connect with people without doing those expenses. Yeah, I mean, because it's not very hard to, they've even got like Netflix groups that like everybody watches the same movie together, which I find kind of trippy. But <laughs> it's one of those things where like, you could literally order them whatever you're eating or pizza or whatever, and then be eating the same thing just like this. And so I've got buddies who've had virtual beers and scotches and the whole like that I would have never imagined to do that. And it's like, what else are we doing? You know, what's funny. I'm actually reconnecting with people I haven't talked to in three or four years from this. And, uh, and you're right. It's a good platform to get everyone together and say, Hey, we're all stuck at home. We're all in this together. Let's get on. Let's, let's, let's have some camaraderie and just talk. And just and just kind of shoot the shit a little bit. With so you, with you. So I guess um, I mean going through this. I mean you seem to have a very positive uh, outlook where you're looking. This as kind of an opportunity because if you don't, if you look if you don't look at this as an opportunity, then then you're kind of selling yourself short. But how do you deal with uh, or how would you? What do you think most important thing is you know for for anybody, especially for yourself, going through this time of crisis and uncertainty? I think the big thing. Um, for us is remembering, I think this gives us a lot of time to stop and reflect and think, why do we do what we do? Right. Um, there's a lot of jobs out there. There's a lot of industries in the world. And part of what Iron Orchard is doing and what we try to be is to bring hope and to help uh, the industry, which is one of the reasons why we're trying to help people by operating things that they just can't and bringing a solution when, when there isn't a solution. And so we're trying to bring hope and help to the industry that has been ravaged for so long. So kind of being a ballast of stability is one of the things that I think is important. And that's, that's why we're so hopeful. That's why we're so positive is because we think that we can actually affect change here. Um, and so the, the other important thing is the, this really is going to point everybody towards knowing who you can trust and who's out for just themselves and who's out to actually make the world a better place. Who's out to actually help people. Um, because right now nobody can afford to, get screwed, right? And if you do it, it's only going to happen once um, because there's no leeway in the middle. And so for us, we see the most important thing is the people we're working with um, and the things that we're doing. So what are you, what, what message are you communicating to people that you're working with during these times? <clears throat> I mean, it, see everything as an opportunity, right? Like there's been hard times before. There's going to continue to be hard times. We're going to have to accept as an industry wide, um, that the salaries and some of the compensation that we've been enjoying for so long isn't going to be there, right? Like a lot of our industry is going to have to lose their jobs. And so this is an opportunity for people if they are not okay with that, to go get another piece of education and move on to another industry. And for those of us who love it and couldn't leave because we would have no idea what else to do because um, we love this, it's an opportunity to say, to reset and to say, Hey, here's why I am. Here's how we can get lean and mean and just work hard. Um, and so what I'm telling them is let's go in this together. And part of it is sharing. I got to where I am today because our CEO at QSTAR shared, right? Gerald Common was a very sharing guy. And QSTAR had some of the lower end guys have more piece of the pie than you've seen at a lot of the companies. And what that did was it brought us all together and made us work harder than you could imagine because nobody works as hard as a guy with skin in the game. And so everybody that works with us is either going to invest money or put skin in the game in some way, if that's sweat equity or actual equity. Um, and that's just kind of a hard and fast rule. And if they don't work, if that doesn't work for them, then they're just not the right fit. And we don't mind that, right? Like not everybody's going to be that fit. Right. So it's during these times, it's either times to, it's, it's, as you said, it's either reset 
or reinvent yourself. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I think you, we need, I think people need to reset and realize, is this something they want to pursue the the constant ups and downs? It seems like we had more downs than ups uh, in the past five years in the oil field. um, Personally. Um, Because we've never really fully reset, right? The the downs come and it didn't just crash like the eighties it kind of sustained itself and the, the capital markets allowed us to do that from your big companies. And then whenever all that capital markets money left, the debt market came in and funded what we were doing and kind of artificially inflated it. And then now it's leaving. And so now there's no more money. Yeah. Right? And there's no more money and the market isn't arbitrarily telling us to grow production. They actually, Hey, we want to make money. Great. If that's what you want us to do, that's what we'll do. Cause we did all, exactly what they asked, grow production, energy independence. And every company on wall street got rewarded for growing production at whatever cost. Um, and so generally people respond by doing what you reward them for. And that's what the oil and gas market did. The industry, the analysts, they asked for more, we gave them more. Right. Um, and so that now they don't want more, they want money. And all right, now it's time to reset and make money because when all they wanted was more, we as an industry did a very bad job of being capitally disciplined and we're paying for the price. We're paying the price of that. So Once this is, so this is a, a necessary kind of uh, industry reset uh, that could potentially put us in a better position. For the long term, I think so. Okay. Um, we're doing less with more. Um, we're, we're, you look at some of the executive management teams and what they make for what they do. And then large bonus packages right before we go bankrupt. It's a very interesting model that we've got and boards right. that allow it. Right. That's right. That's a good point. So on a more personal note, I mean, let's talk about, I mean, you're at the house. What are you focusing your, your energy and your efforts on besides Iron Orchard operating and besides your family? Are you, are you getting involved in anything? Are you doing anything uh, that you'd like to, to talk about? Any interest? Yeah, I mean, so, um, yeah, that is, that is something else. And so I've got a few things going. Um, Iron Orchard is definitely uh, one of the priorities, one of the main priorities um, in my family. Um, and then we've got a ranch that we're doing um, – corporate event space and weddings that called clear Creek ranch. It's in Belleville, Texas. It's so, kind of our- Cle- so clear Creek, clear Creek ranch. And that has a, uh, and I, I follow them on uh, Instagram. Actually, they have a, you have an Instagram page. Yeah. 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 It's clear Creek ranch dash TX. Um, and so um, it's got like a 6,000 foot square foot house on it with a big party room that you can do kind of little corporate events. It's got the white barn for weddings. If it needs, it's got a hundred acres to kind of roam around on. Um, and so we've been, we bought that and then let a bunch of churches use it for uh, kind of getaways for the pastors. And we let missionaries, we've had missionaries stay there for three, four months. And so we're really involved with um, the church that we attend, Tyler Baptist, and working with kind of a business's mission. And so part of what Iron Orchard does, uh, Mike and I are both um, outspoken Christians. And so part of what we do is like our GP, the part that rules everything else, call it the part that gets the 2% management fee. We've committed to giving 10% of its profits to charity. And so Mike's in the Mike's in the Deacons of the Deadwood, right? Or Deacons of Deadwood. Deacons of Deadwood, they, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And they focus on widows and orphans and taking care of people. And that's, I mean, that's a big passion of Mike's. And so Mike does that. And we're going to give part of that money there. And then I work with um, missionaries and people creating businesses around the world to provide hope. And so part of what I do on the side, part of what the ranch is, Part of what Iron Orchard is, because I, you know, I don't believe in a separation of sacred and secular, right? Like if God called me to do one thing, He called me to do everything. Right? I'm to do everything to His glory, and so 
we tie it all in together and give hope wherever we can. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, that sounds awesome. And, and Deacon, I mean, Mike did touch on Deacons of Deadwood, but pretty much it's like if you were taking the Sons of Anarchy and they did polar opposite and did kindness to this world instead of messing with the Aztecs. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. What opportunities do you see emerging from this, uh, from this dumpster fire? The opportunities that I think you're going to see are going to be partnerships. I think banks are going to have to own assets and they're going to need teams to operate that. I think there's going to be teams out there to do that. Um, when we first started talking about that, there wasn't a ton of folks doing that. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of guys out there, but I think the next 12 to 18 months will really flesh out who's really in it because they like operating like us. Um, Cause even when we had a chance to get out and re partially retire or do something completely different, we, we bought oil and gas wealth to operate it for ourselves. Um, and so, and you're going to see the difference between that. You're also going to see a lot of uh, combinations. You're going to see a lot of ingenuity. I think the opportunity is going to be, again, doing more with less, um, being a little bit more sustainable. Um, and you're going to see a lot more potential like yield vehicles, right? Like oil and gas is not a, the MLP model doesn't work because this is not a non-depreciating asset. We are not pipeline, but we're going to take the portions of the asset probably and midstream companies and downstream companies and, you know, vendors, everybody are going to be partners. So I think you're going to see a lot more people have a piece of the pie like they used to. Um, cause you're going to see a lot more capital coming kind of creatively. Okay. Um, you're going to see some outside investments from, you know, Asia, the middle East, because a lot of those guys have been out for the last 10 years, not burning paper. Um, and now they're excited to come back in like, Hey, it's time to get in the oil field. Right. I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, potential investment from other places as well. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, you got to get creative, I guess, in times like this with everyone pulling, pulling out. So everybody's got to pull in the same direction. That's right. So what, um, what message would you leave our audience that's, that's listening today? Um, the big thing is to press on to continue to have hope. Um, cause we looked at 300 something deals at Q star two and nothing just quite worked. And I didn't get why. Um, and then, but man, that perfectly prepared us for what we're doing at iron orchard. And we couldn't have done this without that. And so even when times get hard, be ready and be ready, willing to work harder than the next guy. Um, and things will start heading in the right direction. Well, I appreciate that. Cody, it's uh, great having you on. And if anyone has any questions uh, for uh, Cody or myself, you can reach us at roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Again, roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Again, it's Cody Rodriguez, CEO of Iron Orchard. I appreciate you coming in today or not coming in or getting on the line today. Yeah. All right. We'll be talking to you soon. Appreciate it, Cody.